As we continue in uh, Luke chapter 22, I want to talk with you this morning about the word connections. Uh, we started out, we, we, we looked at uh, that transformation of Jesus. And I think it's illustrated in one of the best ways through the transformation of the Passover, where he changed that event and, and, and brought us into a new understanding of a relationship with him and how our lives are to be different. Uh, and then he watched his disciples do the same thing that we so often do as humans, as they debated who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and they looked at that situation and he, he called them to a, a better way. Now we find Jesus and his disciples have crossed over uh, the Kidron Valley uh, on the western slope of the Mount of Olives. This, this week, you know, uh, technology is great. Um, and this week uh, on my, my different storage file folders, all that kind of stuff, it kept popping up reminders this week of different times I've had the opportunity to be uh, in Jerusalem uh, and to be at the Kidron Valley and to, to look at those places. And I was reminded at the proximity of where this scene happens how close it was to the temple itself, just a short walk from the eastern gates of the city, nestled down into the bottom of this valley, olive trees and olive press in the middle. But it was also a place where travelers would often camp uh, because of cost, because of proximity. And it was in this place that Jesus reminds us of the importance of our connections and the way we live our lives. And so I want to read the passage in Luke chapter 22 before we look at just five quick things this morning uh, before we finish up. Look at verse 39. And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Father God, I pray that as we look at this passage about the connection that we have with one another, with, with you, with God the Father, that God, you would show us the importance of this relationship that we have in life. That God, we're not to do it on our own, that we need healthy habits instilled in our lives. We need this ongoing connection with you. We want to watch and see where you lead us. And then, Father, we want to be obedient to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's five things I want you to see from this passage. The first one is simply this. We have to choose to live out healthy habits. Someone once said that we are a bundle of habits. I think that's true, don't you? We all have certain ways we do things, certain ways we're comfortable, the directions we like to go. You probably like to drive the same route every time because it makes, it's comfortable. You say, well, it's the best route. Well, of course it is. It's the one you took. 
We like habits. We are lots full of habits. But with Passover now transformed and the petty squabbling of his disciples behind him, Jesus Jesus pivots to the next thing in his life, which was what? Prayer. Now, prayer was never intended to be a last resort, my friends. It was designed to be a a connection point, a place where we come before the Father, a point of obedience in God's plan. And it seems to me that Jesus himself had healthy habits. He had places he liked to go to pray. He had times he liked to go and pray. He liked to set aside parts of his life. When you look out the, at the, the overarching st- scope of his life and his ministry, you find this was not the first time he had prayed. He had a habit of prayer. If you remember, he started his public ministry by doing what? He got baptized, but after that he did what? He went and spent time communing with God in prayer. You remember the story where Jesus and his disciples were in the Galilee area and he had sent his disciples on ahead to row the boat to get to the other spot they were going to. Where did Jesus go? He went to pray. See, Jesus had a consistent ministry, consistent habit, a consistent manner of healthy prayer and having places dedicated and time set aside for it. He had places he liked to go. He dedicated time to it. Anyone who knew Jesus would not be surprised, therefore, to see him going to his favorite spot to pray. It was his habit. You know, years before this, the psalmist wrote about this. Jesus understood the meaning of these words when the psalmist said this, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength Another translation of that word is rock. That fits in with the song our choir sang this morning. It's the rock of my heart and my portion forever. Jesus understood that that the things that we do in life matter. The habits we put in place matter. You know, all of us are a bundle of habits. Some of them, let's say, uh, aren't so good. Jesus does here is point us to the importance of a healthy spiritual habit, a habit that we need to develop in advance. Jesus didn't all of a sudden show up and go, hey, I think I'll pray. Why? He's been praying. That connection with God was important to him. These habits provide stability and direction. Number two thing I want you to see is this, is a call to lead others to pray. Look what Jesus does in verse 40. And when he came to the place, the place he liked to go pray, he said to them what? Y'all take a nap. I'll get back to you. No, he challenges them. He encourages them to do something that's important. To what? To pray. To pray that you not enter into temptation. So we have this habit being exercised. The garden is the destination, and Jesus and his rival and his disciples arrive there, and it's late at night, so it's dark. They didn't have streetlights like we do. They could see the stars in the sky if it was clear. They just finished the Passover meal. You know, we think of Lord's Supper and we go, well, that little cracker's not going to fill me up. But you got to understand a Passover was a feast. They would have lamb. They would have fruits. They would have uh, breads. They would have all kinds of things. I don't know about you, but if you have a meal late at night, sometimes the first thing you want to do, well, let me rephrase that. The last thing you want to do is go spend some time in prayer. The first thing you want to do is what? Like what you'll do this afternoon after getting up early. Take a nap. Right? These guys were struggling. But Jesus says, let's pray. These men had watched Jesus for three years. They had witnessed miracle after miracle. They had witnessed firsthand the mighty work of God through Jesus. And yet here they are being encouraged by their servant leader to pray. But notice the why. To pray why? So you wouldn't enter into temptation. Now, 
what temptation could they face in a darkened garden with a bunch of guys over there? I mean, really, come on. These are the same men who just a few minutes before had debated, I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. No, I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. You're going, what in the world? These are the men who even after three years of following Jesus didn't get the big picture. These are the men who over and over failed to be found faithful. And if anyone could face temptation to succumb to temptation, these were prime candidates. But isn't that our life as well? We face temptation all the time. Jesus, God through Paul, reminded the church at Corinth. He says, no temptation is overtaking you. That's not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted upon your ability. But the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you can endure it. Let me tell you, spending time in prayer would set his disciples up for success. Guess who else spending time in prayer sets up for success? You and me. You go, well, I pray. Oh, my friends, Jesus wants us to pray, to pray for others, to pray for ourselves, to pray for the needs of our world, to pray for the struggles around the world that we see. And we are facing temptation on a regular basis to not do so. We miss it. So live out the healthy habits. Lead others to pray. Third, long for God's direction. Long for a godly direction. Look at verse 41. Now, Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing... Remove this cup from me. You ever prayed that prayer? You go, what about the rest? Hang on. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Say, God, would you take this away? God, would you remove this from my life? Would you take this struggle away from me? Would you take this burden away? Would you do this for me? I have. I'm probably pretty sure you have too. Jesus says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So he's following out his healthy habit. He calls his uh, brothers, his followers to to pray. And he says, I want your direction, God. Now, it would be easy for us to assume, since Jesus was God, this was just normal and easy. Uh, Let me remind you this morning, Jesus was not only 100% God, he was also 100% human. Now you're going, how's that work? Could you explain that to you, to us? Uh, No, I can't. Because I got to tell you, I don't fully understand that at all. It doesn't make sense to me. But I also know that the scriptures tell me it's true, so it must be true. So I take it on faith that he was totally human, just like you and me. That means he struggled with sin, not that he sinned. He struggled with temptation, just that as we do, though he never gave in to those. And what Jesus does here is a pivotal moment because he makes a renewed commitment that says, not my will, but yours. You think, Jesus surely didn't deal with that. Yeah, he did. He felt the same stuff that we do. He could identify with us because of that. And being both God and man, he carried every concern and every fear that we have, and yet he was also connected to the Father. It was a duality that created tension. I would suggest to you that as a follower of Jesus, we struggle with that same duality. You know, what do you mean? You know that sin nature that we were born with, that we're so um, good at, is in direct contradiction 
to the nature of God that he wants in us. And it's a battle we fight. And he leaves the choice, amazingly enough, to you and me. This duality created a tension, this avenue to address, uh, but this avenue to address, was this was not to run from God. Instead, he did what? He ran to God. He didn't go, okay, you guys stay here. I'm going to head back into town. I'll be back later. He didn't say that. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to get alone with God. I'm going to get in front of God. I'm going to long for this godly direction that I need. His heart revealed with his intimacy with God to run to the Father. You know, how many times are we faced with trials, with hardships, with difficulties, and we say to ourselves, well, I'll just handle it. Guilty. Guilty. Instead, we're called to what? Run to the Father. There's a great song, I'm sure, Harold, you've heard it, Run to the Father. It's an amazing song. I just uh, I think of it, I go, man, that's what we need to be doing on a regular, so I run to him again and again and again. Because that's where we find the answers. Maybe we need to be reminded of the psalmist's words when he said this, be still and know that I'm God. Oh. Sometimes you just want to turn it all off, don't you? What are you going to do if you do? Be still and know that he's God. Be exalted among the nations, exalted in the earth. Jesus emulated for us the importance of running to the Father where we can find intimacy with him, to find his direction in our lives, to find communion with God in a place that we find his direction and leading. Not the last resort, but the first step. Fourth thought about this connection. Lean on the Father. Oh, I don't need a father. I can take care of myself. Really? Look what God does for his son. There appeared to Jesus, to him, an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat sweat became like drops great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, as Jesus got along with God, he discovers an angel from heaven comes to strengthen him. Who was this angel? Doesn't matter. The, 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 the point is, is that God is going to support him because Jesus is leaning into him. Y'all with me? He says, I'm here. And in that moment of extreme need, he finds he's not alone. He's being attended to by an angel. Now, the word that's translated strengthening him is, is more than just Supporting him physically. It's not, it's not just physical. It carries in the Greek the idea of making strong enough to face the coming confrontation. There's a word in literature that, that I think would, that in English, that kind of carries the idea. It's the idea of stealing oneself for battle. That's not S-T-E-A-L. It's S-T-E-E-L. To steal yourself, I think there's an E on the end of it. To steal your, to, to 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 get a backbone, to step up and stand into it, because you know the next step is going to be hard. You know the next step is going to be difficult. You next the next moment is going to be way beyond your ability, and so you steal yourself, allowing the Father to work through you and to carry you through that moment, because you can't do it on your own. Maybe that's the key to this. This connection that we desperately need. It's to learn to lean on God instead of to lean on ourselves. 
With all of this, he still found himself in agony. He found himself in an intense moment where he would be physically and mentally abused by wicked people. And this intense pressure in his life became so great that he began to sweat drops of blood. You say, oh, that can't be true. That's a real medical condition that really happens for people who are under extreme emotional and physical stress. This can happen. It does happen, and it happened for Jesus. I think the call... For Jesus again, and for us as well, is to remember the words of Moses when he said in Exodus, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. Why? Because it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. My friends, we live our lives so often separated from, I would even use the word divorced from God's presence. Even as followers of his, we say, I can do it. I don't think we have the clue until we get to the point where we say, God, I can't do it. He emulated that intimacy that we need. He leaned to the Father. No matter how difficult the road has ahead, how hard things are going to be, what's going to come, we don't know. He's right there with us, leading us, and he closes the door behind us. Jesus leaned on the Father. Maybe we should do the same thing. And then verses 45 and 46, you see what could have been thought of as humorous if it wasn't so sad. Look at verse 45 and 46. And when he rose, Jesus rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them Really? Really? I mean, I, I, come on, guys. I've told you what's about to happen. I told you what we're about to face. I told you this is going to be awful. This is going to be difficult. It's going to be terrible. And you're asleep. But look why they were sleeping. I think it gives us a clue as to the why or the what they were doing. Sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Didn't he just tell them that a minute before? Yes, he did. So now with this renewed commitment to God's will behind him, he makes his way back to the disciples who was encouraged to pray to avoid temptation. And what are they doing? They're sleeping. And you could give a list of all the reasons. I can tell you why they were asleep. They had a big meal that day. They had a long day behind them, and they got a long day ahead of them. It was late. It was dark. Maybe it was a little cool. They had a fire going. It made them feel warm, and they fell asleep. But the fact of the matter is this. They had not listened to Jesus' call to pray. They napped. And their sorrow was a part of that. Their sorrow had overtaken them, and they had found themselves asleep. And Jesus found them. Listen, they've been encouraged to pray. They've been invited to pray. Let me just tell you, they've been commanded to pray, but they lost the battle. What battle was it? The battle of sorrow. I don't know about you, but sorrow is a burden that's sometimes hard to carry, isn't it? Sometimes when sorrow comes in our lives because of the loss of a loved one, the loss of friends, the loss of difficulties, the loss of freedoms, even we deal with sometimes in our world, and we say, I'll just go to sleep. We lose the battle. 
think their minds were just struggling with what's coming. They were struggling with the reality, struggling with the things that were ahead. But I think it also shows us this, a lack of trust in the one who could give them the strength they needed to get through. They said, Jesus, you, you, you said God's got it, but, you know, we're going to take care of it, and we're going to deal with it by taking a nap. Jesus says, wake up. Wake up. I think he's telling us, my friends, wake up because the days are short. The times are hard. The world is not going in the direction that we would really like it to, is it? Wake up. I find it interesting. He says, rise up and pray. He didn't say kneel down and pray. He said, get up. Go on. We're going to live. We're going to serve. We're going to minister. And we're going to pray as we do it. And he gives them a path forward with faithfulness. And service. I think he gives us a path to. Over in the Proverbs, the writer said this, commit your way to the Lord. Literally, that means roll your way to the Lord. <laughs> roll it all to him. Trust in him. And he'll do what? He'll act. Again, we come back to that same struggle we have, don't we? Oh, I think I can handle it. I think I can do it. I think I can... Fix the problem. I can't. What Jesus calls his disciples to do and he calls you and me to do is to do this, to walk so close to him that we find the temptations become less and less and less. And as we have that connection with God, we find that that happens and works. But let me ask you this, friends. Do you know for certain you have the connection? You go, I go to church. Didn't ask if you go to church. Well, I'm a nice person. Didn't ask if you were a nice person. I asked if you'd met Christ. Because that's the connection that matters. That's the step that matters. That's the change in our lives that we all desperately need. And once we have that, then we got to keep on rolling with Jesus and praying and having connection with others and living a life of fellowship and service. What's holding you back from doing that? Father God, we thank you for the day you've given us to be together, to sing and to worship, and to look at this little prayer of Jesus that he says, not my will, but yours. God, let it be an example to us as followers that says, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God with everything. the big things, the little things. And I'm going to stay in connection with his people and with God. We pray, God, for those who may need to make some type of decision this morning. Let them do that according to your will and your purpose. In Jesus' name.